Let's pray. And everlasting Lord, it is you we are here to worship today. We thank you for that reminder that you are everlasting. Scripture says you are from everlasting to everlasting. You are from eternity to eternity. You are the Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning and the end. There is no moment that you're not God. There never will be a moment that you're not God. Lord, we worship you as the everlasting God. Father, we also draw instruction from this song to, to wait on you. You have a wisdom and an understanding that we don't have because you are from everlasting to everlasting. God, sometimes it is scary and it is anxious. But because of who you are, may we learn the discipline of being still and being quiet and choosing not to be anxious, but rest in the God who is, who is to come and who will always be. Lord, we love you and we worship you. Lord, perhaps there are those in this room right now who are in a time of waiting on the Lord. God, would you give them the strength and the courage to keep waiting? Give them the faith to hold on to you. Lord, perhaps their answer is just around the corner. I pray they will see it and they will see you in it. And realize you're better than any answer that comes. Perhaps, Lord, there are others in the room today for whom the answer is still quite a bit off. You will be calling them to wait much longer. I pray that waiting in you will be enough. That your grace will be enough. Lord, these are big things to pray. We turn to your word now because we need our faith strengthened. We need to understand who you are and how you're working. And be encouraged that you are well worthy of waiting on. Your timing, your wisdom is perfect. So God, would you open up your word to us now? Open up our hearts and our minds to hear it, to see it, to understand it, and to rightly and appropriately respond to it. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know that I could say what is the most well-known passage, or at least definitively say what is the most well-known passage among believers everywhere, or, or even more, even among unbelievers. What's the most well-known passage in the whole world? I, I don't know that anybody can say this is it, but I tell you what, if I was a gambling man, I'll tell you where I'd put my money. I'd put it on Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live.
This passage tells me, it tells you that there is a God. And that God is not some mystical force. He's not a far-off deity that may or may not care about you. But rather, He is a very personal God, a very intimate God that affords you and affords me the opportunity to call Him my, my shepherd. And out of that relationship, out of that opportunity to call Him my shepherd, comes everything we need. You know, we have a tendency because this psalm is so well known to just kind of read it and not think a lot about it. But in this poetry, in the beauty of these words, folks, there are things being offered to us in this relationship. You know what Psalm 23 says God has for you? It's talking here about rest and provision, peace, restoration, encouragement, guidance, fellowship, courage, comfort, Protection, honor, abundance, and security. I mean, that's about it, isn't it? Is there something else that you need, that I need, that's not covered in this relationship that we can have with the Lord? And it's all there. I I don't know what somebody would be looking for if they're searching for a God, but this has to be it. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about sheep and shepherding, but, but this sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Now, while I don't, and you probably don't know a lot about sheep and shepherding either, there was somebody who knew a lot about it, and that was the Jews. The Jews knew a lot about sheep and shepherding. That was their heritage. They were shepherds. And not only did they know a lot about sheep and shepherding, they knew a lot about this psalm. As well known as this psalm might be among us, it would, easy, would be even more well known among the Jews in this day. They would have known this psalm. They would have memorized this psalm. They would pray this psalm. Oh Lord, could I know you? Could I know you as the good shepherd? Could, could I experience what David experienced in you as the good shepherd? Can you imagine with me? A Jewish man, a Jewish woman praying that prayer one day. God, could I know you as that good shepherd? And again, being people who knew sheep, very, very concrete images would come to mind of of what sheep need, of what a shepherd does, especially a good shepherd. And and they're praying that prayer. They're they're wanting that God who is that good shepherd. And they get up from that prayer and they, they go to town. And there's a crowd over here. And, and, and they're listening to somebody talk and, and you go up and you, you join and you're, you're listening to what's going on. And all of a sudden, the, there's this person, he's teaching and he, he turns and it's, it's almost as if he's looking right at you. Well, I wish I could look in everybody's eyes as I say this. I can't do that. He could. And he's looking right at you and he says, I am that good shepherd you're seeking in Psalm 23. Man, what what would you hear when he said that? Would you fall to your knees and praise the Lord? Would you say, hallelujah? Or would you do what I probably would do? I mean, remember where we are. We're standing down in the center of downtown Richmond. The guy says, I'm the good shepherd. What are you going to do? This guy's a nut. And I'm going to walk off. Well, I mean, do you think it would be, I mean, if we're standing downtown Richmond and that happens, do you, you think it's really any different for this crowd right here? 
This is a big thing. I mean, folks, why we want the nearness of God and we want to know God and he's with us. You know, there's a part of us, probably our sin nature, that does like to leave God far off. There's a certain comfort level with him being way up there, being kind of distant, very concrete, very right in front of us can be a little bit unnerving. And so, you know, this guy is standing there and he's saying, I am that good shepherd. How, how do we take that? You know, there's really is only a couple of ways anybody, whatever they believe, there's really only a couple of ways anybody can take a statement like that. You might have heard this line of reasoning before. Jesus is standing there and he says, I'm the good shepherd. Now, when he says, I'm the good shepherd, he could say that and mean it. He, he really believes he is, but he's not. So in that case, he's crazy, right? You know, I, I'm this, but I'm not. But I really believe I am. Well, then that, that makes me crazy. And so we, we would dismiss him then as a crazy person. But, but when you make that accusation, you've you got to say, based on what? Based on what would somebody make the accusation that, that Jesus was out of his mind, that he wasn't right? I mean, when we look at his life, we look at his, his teachings, we look at the witnesses of, of people who watched his life, boy, it gives us a picture very different than somebody who's mentally unstable. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. We see perfect emotional and mental health. We see somebody with great clarity, great understanding, great balance. Not only did he have that, but it seems like the more and more people came into a closer relationship with him, they got that. That doesn't sound like a crazy person, does it? I mean, somebody can say that, but you've got to have a reason for accusing him of that. You know, just ever since Jesus has walked on this planet... He's had friends, followers, fans. He's had enemies. He's the most written about person, the most analyzed person to ever be on this planet. And nobody's ever really made the case that Jesus was probably crazy. So when he says, I am the good shepherd, the issue's not he's crazy. Now, he could be saying, I'm the good shepherd, and he knows he's not. He's just saying it. Now, in that case, he's what? He's a liar. He's trying to deceive us, and, and people do that, don't they? they? They tell you something that they are so that you'll follow them, so that you'll give them something, so that, so that you'll do something for them. They're, they're trying to deceive us. Could that be what, what Jesus is doing? Here again, you can say that, but based on what? When we look at his life, it is a life of truth. It's a life of promoting truth. It's a, it's a life of genuineness and openness and honesty. Folks, there was people who hated him. And they never accused him of being a liar. They, they never accused him of being a deceiver. It, it, it's not what his life put off. He doesn't look like a liar. And he didn't gain anything out of that lie. And he ultimately was killed for telling that lie. So... You can make that accusation, but it's not very likely that he was lying. So the other option is, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And he's saying that because he is the good shepherd. He's telling the truth. Well, now the ball's in our court. What, what am I going to do with that? I, I'm either going to receive him as the good shepherd, the, the God that Psalm 23 talks about, or I'm going to reject that, go on about my life. I don't need a shepherd hopefully the consequences for that aren't too bad. And that's kind of what we do, right? We reject it and walk away or we receive it. I said, well, no, no, wait a minute. You're reading Psalm 23. It doesn't say Jesus said, I am 
this shepherd. Well, where do you get that? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Turn with me this morning to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. If there's not one right in front of you, hopefully you can get one within two or three chairs. I want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, His revelation about who His Son is. We've been studying the book of John now. It's actually the weeks are starting to add up. We did a couple of introduction sermons and then we worked through seven signs, seven signs Jesus performed, giving evidence, giving witness to who he is, to what he can do. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start taking on seven witnesses. We're actually going to look at that all in one sermon. We're going to see the seven witnesses line up and give testimony to their eyewitness account of Jesus Christ. Right now, we've been studying I am statements. There are seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. And each one of these I am statements says something about who Jesus is, what he can be for us, who he is for us. And today we come not to one, but to two of those. We've been kind of taking these on one at a time, but there are two right here together in this same passage. Let's look at them. John chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. It says, So Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired man and he doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. As the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life. For my sheep. Two I am statements. Both repeated twice. Did you hear that? I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Now to understand this whole passage. It actually does help. If you know something about sheep. And what they need. And why a shepherd is is important to them. It, It helps to know. To be able to think very concretely. About what a shepherd does. What a good shepherd is. Because that helps you understand the passage. But now here's the funny thing. Jesus starts with this illustration in verse 1. And if you get to verse 6, it says they didn't get it. Now, they did know something about sheep and shepherding, and they were missing it. So in verse 7, you kind of have Jesus getting to the point. He's getting to the point of the illustration and what it's about. So that's what I'm going to try to do here is get to the point. Jesus has these two I am statements. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Both of these I am statements, remember, they're saying about who Jesus is, what he is for us. Who is he? He's our savior. Who is he or what is he for us? He is our salvation. Both of these statements are about salvation. Salvation means to be saved. We need to be saved. We need to be rescued. Now, a lot of people don't feel like they need to be rescued. What do I need to be rescued from? I'm feeling pretty good about life. I'm feeling pretty good about things. What do I need to be saved from? Every person that walks on this planet needs to be saved from sin, from death, and from hell. And outside of entering the door, outside of coming into a relationship with the good shepherd, 
you will be consumed by sin, death, and hell. And that lasts for all eternity. We need to be rescued from that. The way to be rescued is to go right through this door over here. And I'm going I'm to refer to this door for a while this morning. Okay, it's not the door over there or the one along the wall or any of those back there. There's one door. That's the door. You got to go through that door. Very concrete imagery here. You want to be saved. You want to be rescued. Go right through there. But when it says a door, it's not referring to just an inanimate object. No, it's a person. That door is Jesus Christ. And and as you enter that door, you're entering into a relationship. And in that relationship, you'll discover a good shepherd Somebody who will protect you and provide for you and watch over you and care for you. I mean, this is a good package right here that Jesus is offering. And again, what good imagery for us? Because we we spend our whole life entering doors, don't we? We go through all kinds of doors. And you know what? Every door I've ever been into, I always expect something on the other side, don't you? I mean, I expect there's something there's something I want. There's something I need. On the other side of that door is a relationship. On the other side of that door is an opportunity. On the other side of that door is help. On the other side of that door is healing, a doctor. On the other side of that door is food. We go through doors because there's something we want in there. A lot of those doors, they're very neutral in nature. Some are bad. We enter through doors of anger. I take on anger because I'm just confident that's, that's what will help me get even That's what will help me make this situation right. This is what I want. We enter through doors like that. All kinds of doors. You know, some of these doors can hold out great promise. Some of them can even work for us for a while. But Jesus warns us in this passage. There's basically two things that happens when we enter any door other than Christ. One, we're going to get robbed. Everything else is a is a thief. Now, if I entered the door of a relationship, you know, my wife, is Jesus saying my wife is a thief? She's going to steal life from me? No, the problem is not my wife. The problem is I go into that relationship thinking this relationship will give me worth. This relationship will give me value. This relationship will tell me I'm loved. Maybe even more, this relationship will make me right with God. See, now I'm putting on that relationship something it can't do. And I bring a pressure to it, and that relationship in time will ultimately leave me with less life. That's true of anything. It's true of a relationship. It's true of a job. We enter jobs. We enter hobbies. We enter all kinds of activities. And this will tell me I'm good. Jesus says when you walk through all these doors, you walk through the door of anger, of greed, of selfishness. When you walk through these doors, ultimately you're going to get robbed. What's on the other side of that door doesn't care for you and will steal from you. When you go through these doors of life, you're not going to find more life. You're going to find less life. You're not going to get more. You're going to end up with less. The other thing Jesus says we find on the other side of that door is that hireling. Somebody who doesn't really care for us. You know, a lot of times we enter doors because we're led to believe this person, this opportunity, this situation, this job, it really cares for me. It has a lot for me. And I go through and that seems to be true, but then maybe something changes and, and my being there is not such a blessing to the situation, to the person, to the job. Things change. Maybe even now they see me as a danger and then they abandon me. They're out of here. Probably more than we want to confess to have experienced that. I thought it held out so much, but what I got was abandoned. 
man, there, there, there's only one door that's going to give us the life and the abundance. That abundance means a fullness to life, a joy, a purpose, a meaning. There's only one door we're going to enter that's going to do that for us, and that's Jesus Christ. When we enter a relationship with God through the door of Christ, we find a very personal, a very intimate relationship. We know Him and He knows us. He knows our face. He, he, we, we know each other's voice. There's an intimacy and a closeness there that Jesus brings us into with the Father when we go through that door. Now, if you're honest with yourself, if, if you're true with what your situation and what your problem is, you should be thinking, now, how does that work? Because it's not comfortable being in a relationship with God. You know, folks, you and I relate with people we're comfortable around, don't we? We, we don't normally, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, it's just kind of a way things are. We don't normally relate with people that we consider way below us. And we don't normally relate with people we consider way above us. I want to feel good. I want to feel comfortable in the relationship. Well, there is a discomfort in the relationship with God because we are so unlike Him. He is completely holy. We're not. He is always about the truth. We're not. He's always thinking of others. We're quite often only thinking of ourselves. And, and you can go on and on and on. It just gets worse. I mean, we're very much unlike God. But folks, that's not just an issue of we've got differences. No, our differences are actually a crime against heaven. Our differences actually offend that holiness. A lot of times we don't understand why. And that's just a statement of our own real lack of understanding about what holiness is and what our unholiness is. We don't get that. So we, we think our little imperfections, our little problems should be no real big issue to God. But there, there is a distance, there is a discomfort between us and God. So how can I go in through that door? God's right on the other side and I'm going to be in this intimate relationship. How can that happen? Because Jesus says, I'm going to lay down my life for you. That's how it's going to happen. I'm going to clean up all of those differences. I'm going to pay the penalty for those differences. Man, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Who or what has really laid down their life for you? Jesus has. I'm going to say it one more time because he said it twice. Jesus said, I am the door. There's one door, folks. Just one. There's one door to eternal life, Jesus Christ. There's one door to the forgiveness of all of our sins, Jesus Christ. There is one door to having a life that counts forever, Jesus Christ. There is one door I can enter, and when I enter that door, I am perfectly and unconditionally loved. That door is Jesus Christ. There is no other door. Now, you and I can run around in life and we can open a lot of doors and, and try a lot of doors and discover the emptiness that they leave us with or we can take Jesus at His word. I am that door. You know, I like the imagery of the door. It's, very, it's a very concrete picture, isn't it? 
As a matter of fact, in a couple of weeks, we'll study another I am statement that Jesus made. Maybe his most well-known I am statement, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That statement, I am the way, very, very similar to the idea behind I am the door. He is the door. He is the one door. I'm going to go over here for a moment. I tricked the media department last time and didn't tell them I was coming over here. But now see the light coming up. They know. Came over here into the dark and hid. This is my door. This is it. Jesus says, I am the door. This, this is the door. It's, it's not those doors back there. He, he didn't say, I'm every door in this room. He said, I'm this door. I'm the door that you have to enter for salvation. Now, you know what? We live in a world today that says that's very intolerant. I mean, to say, I, you know, when that's what Christians say, right? We've got the way. We're the best. We win. Yay. And so that makes us very intolerant. What we're supposed to say, you know, what? everybody has truth. You know, whatever truth works good for you, whatever way works good. Hey, you know what? That door works for me. But but if that door over there works for you, man, you'd go get it. That's tolerance, the highest value in our world today. It's very intolerant to say that's the one door. Now, is Jesus intolerant? No, let me tell you why it's not intolerant to say that's the one door. First of all, it's the truth. There's nothing worse you can do to somebody. Say, you know what? There's a million dollars if you'll go right through that door and y'all all go charging out that door. And I know the million dollars is over here. So I'm see that's just being mean. No, it's truth. Truth is always good. But here's the other thing. Here's why it's not intolerant. You need to hear this because we're getting hit with it in the world all the time. That door right there is available to everybody on this planet. Anybody in this room, anybody on this planet can go right through this door and find eternal life and the forgiveness of all their sins. Anybody. Now, this is intolerant. It's intolerant if I say, everybody in this section right here, y'all are welcome to go through the door. I like y'all. Y'all look like me. I think I'd feel pretty comfortable with all of y'all. Y'all all come on. Everybody else in this room, you can't come in the door. I don't like y'all. Y'all eat food. You smell funny. I don't like the way you dress. I don't like your race. I don't like your age. I don't like your gender. I don't like what country you're from. I don't like how dumb you are. You can't come through this door. That's intolerant, isn't it? Folks, that's not what Jesus is saying. There is one door, and that's it right there. That's truth, and it's nice of Jesus to let us know where the one door is because this world is filled with doors that will empty my life. So in kindness and love, he tells me, Randy, that's the door. It is open to everybody, but now it is only effective for those who actually enter it. You do have to go through the door. You want to be saved? You want to live forever? You want to be cleansed of all your sins? You want to be able to walk into the presence of God and that being an enjoyable experience? Jesus said, come through me. Come through me. I will be that door. I will be that way for you to get to that experience. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. It's not just about going through a door. It's not just about having a way. Man, it's a relationship. Jesus says, when you come through me, you're coming to somebody who will care for you and protect you and watch over you. I am the good shepherd. And again, Jesus' audience they would, have, they would have thought of shepherds, they would have thought of sheep, and they would have thought of what a good shepherd does, very concrete images. I believe any Jew there that day would have run right back to Psalm 23. 
Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. They would think of how that good shepherd was described in Psalm 23. But it's interesting, Jesus, while all of those benefits of the shepherd, I believe, apply here, do you notice Jesus kind of singularly focuses in this passage on what he does as a good shepherd. He just mentions one thing. I lay down my life for you. A good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. I've been thinking a lot about what Jesus is saying here and what a good shepherd looks like. And there is a little bit of a difference. You know, when a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and folks, shepherding is not a real dangerous job. I've done some research on this. I looked up the newspapers and, you know, you don't, you know, in shepherding countries, you know, I didn't say, you know, four shepherds killed this week so far. You know, this isn't a job where a lot of shepherds lose their life. Uh, I think it's pretty safe. But, but sheep are pretty easy targets. They are, they are prey. And, and so predators come out there. So if I'm a shepherd, there is the possibility I'm going to have to run off a wolf or a bear. And so I've got a rod. I've got a staff. I know how to use these tools. My dad was a shepherd and my grandfather was a shepherd. And I've been at this pretty well. I feel pretty confident with a, with a wolf. Now, as I'm out there taking care of the sheep and this wolf comes, now I'm pretty confident I can take it. But maybe as I'm fighting it, you know, I'm backing up and I trip and all of a sudden the wolf overwhelms me. Or, or maybe I think I'm only dealing with one wolf and all of a sudden there's a pack of wolves and wham, I'm dead. I just laid down my life for the sheep. I was a good shepherd. I was protecting them. I was doing what I could to keep these wolves away. But I want to tell you something. I didn't want to die It was not my intention to die. It was not my intention to lay down my life for the sheep. It just it just happened in the course of the job. That's not what I wanted to do. So you got you got one kind of good shepherd that would. I mean, there is a risk, not likely. It's not what I want to do, but he could actually have to lay down his life for the sheep. And then Jesus talks about another guy here. He's he's just called the hireling. I mean, he's over here, he's got his rod and his staff, and he sees the wolf coming and goes, I'm out of here, you know, he don't want to mess with that at all. I mean, sheep aren't worth it. You know, I got, Jesus says, you know, the hireling, he runs away, he's not the owner. You know, I got to thinking, if I was the owner, I don't think I'd want somebody I hired to die for sheep. They're sheep. I mean, it's business, you budget it, you got some loss. I mean, how many sheep can one wolf feed? I'm going to lose two sheep, okay? I, I would not want, I mean, think about it. If they were your sheep... Would you want somebody pretending to actually die to protect a sheep or two? No, they're, they're not worth it. So you got these two images in your mind. You got the guy who would lay down his life in the midst of the work. And, and you got another guy, I'm not, the sheep aren't worth it, I'm out of here. However you look at this situation, Jesus is not really like either one of these. First of all, Jesus never runs from protecting you. Jesus never runs away from being for you what you need. But here's the other thing. When Jesus lays down his life, he didn't lay it down his life because he got overwhelmed and consumed by sin and death and hell. He, he was protecting you. He didn't want it to cost his life, but oh my gosh, he got overwhelmed and it did. No, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus laying down his life was, was not a situation of it's just what the job required and, and, and look what happened. No, Jesus is not saying, I'm willing to die for you. He's saying, I did die for you up front. This wasn't an issue of, oh my gosh, here comes the predator. I went and took on the predator for you and I died on your behalf. Why why does somebody have to die for me? I'm going to say it again. It's because we don't really understand what holiness is or looks like. And we don't have a concept of what our unholiness means. 
Jesus went to take on that predator, take on that situation. He became the payment for my sin. He took on the penalty for my crimes. He did that as an act of love. And I can't help but think, was it worth it? I mean, here again, I look at the hireling. Why does the hireling run away? Because the sheep aren't worth it. I'm not laying down my life for sheep. They're not worth it. Well, Jesus did lay down his life for you and for me. Was it worth it? Now, I can't help, but uh, I, I don't know how somebody says, yeah, it was worth it. I, I can't imagine standing in heaven and saying, man, heaven is really a better place because I'm here. God is God is richer because he's in a relationship with me. I can't understand that I bring that kind of value, that kind of worth to God and to heaven. And folks, when I say that, I'm not being humble. I'm not, just, oh, you know, I'm just a horrible, bad person. I don't know why anybody loves me. I'm not trying to beat down on myself. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a good catch. Ask my wife. I think I make a pretty good friend. I mean, as people go, I'm, I'm as good as the next person. But I'm not talking about being as good as the next person. I'm talking about being worthy of dying for. And not by another person, but by God himself. Am I worth it? No. But folks, worthiness is not what's driving this. Jesus didn't look down here and see your worth and say, this is what I've got to do. He wasn't obligated to do this. Then why did he come? Folks, I think this is the whole point of what Jesus is saying. It's, it's love. He lays down his life to demonstrate the very real love that he has for you. He's not saying, I'm willing to die for you. I did die for you. And it's not because I was obligated. It's not because it was the job. It's not because of how much you're worth. It's because of how much my Father loves you. Love is the driver of this process. You are loved you are loved and jesus says if you want to know that love and you want to experience that love then you come through me i'm the door i'm the good shepherd i will guide you to that pasture i will guide you to that place safely folks psalm 23 is not an idea, a poetic thought about what a really neat God might be like. Psalm 23 is Jesus. He is my shepherd. There's nothing else I need. Can you say that? Can you say today, I've been through that door. I am in relationship with the good shepherd. I think Jesus says, come on. Come through the door. Because it is dangerous out there. People will rob from you and steal from you. This life will throw you out to dry. I am the good shepherd. For you. Let's pray. Father, I don't think we're shocked or surprised to come to church and hear the preacher say, Jesus loves you. 
I, I don't guess that's the deepest thought we would be working on today or the newest thought. No, we, we, we've known that maybe since we were little children. Jesus loves me, this I know. Lord, I pray today that we would realize there should be no more dominating truth in our lives than Jesus loves me. The fact that I am loved that much should affect how I respond to somebody I'm angry at. How I would respond to somebody who's disappointed me. How I would respond to a, a situation that I was hoping so much for and it didn't work out. Lord, I pray we would see no truth should more guide how I face everything I'm going to face tomorrow. Than this one truth, Jesus loves me. He is my shepherd. Lord, I pray that uh, every one of us in this room, pray we would meditate on that throughout the week, that we would think on it. We would ask you, Lord, what should this mean to my life? What, how should it color what I do and where I go and what I'm about? How should your love for me set my priorities? God, would you guide us? Would you place that? We'll forget, Lord, by this afternoon. But, but tomorrow when we wake up, would, would you place that thought in my head again? And I pray that I live tomorrow as somebody that is deeply loved by Jesus Christ. I pray every word out of my mouth, my attitudes, my actions, everything I do is as somebody who is deeply loved by Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those in this room right now who have never gone through the door. They're not in a relationship with the Good Shepherd. God, I pray they would hear you today say it is dangerous to not have you. And I pray this day they come forward. They come through the door. They enter into that relationship with God that you provide. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, I pray nobody would leave these doors today still lost, still in danger. Holy Spirit, whisper to him right now, you've not been through the door. You're not in a relationship. And let him know that you invite him to come receive you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen.